0: this
1: is three women and a bottle of wine
0: three friends three former tv reporters
1: and one bottle of wine
0: delving into whatever interests us
1: news not news what affects our lives because it's probably affecting yours too i'm kim insley
0: i'm lynn melling and i'm julie barkey and now on with the pod
1: Welcome, everyone, to Three Women and a Bottle of Wine via Zoom. Okay, so we sound, well, we're doing the whole season via Zoom, <laughs> which I kind of like, but I miss my ladies. I'm Kim Inslee, and as we record this, this is middle of May, um, so we are a bit away still from restaurants and bars being able to reopen following the stay-at-home order in Minnesota.
2: And I'm Lynn Melling. We certainly have been made aware of the plight many restaurants experienced because of the closures. That's right, and I'm Julie Barkey, and here to provide an inside look at what
0: it's like to be inside that business, but also to be a groundbreaker in the restaurant world altogether, Yveng, Vang. So everybody, grab your wine. We're about to dive right in.
1: Oh, we are. Now, for those who don't already know, Yia um, is amazing. So he's, he started out in some of the best kitchens in the Midwest when he came here, Burrow, which I love, Spoon and Stable, which I love, and then he had the courage to strike out on his own and formed a pop-up sensation Union Monk Kitchen, which as we are recording now is in residency at Sociable Cider Works in Minneapolis. Um, So before we get into the professional side of things, you you have an amazing story, background from uh, before you were here in the U.S. Can you fill us in a little bit on that?
3: Yeah, so my, um, so our, our, my parents uh, met in a refugee camp in uh, Thailand and the refugee camps called Vinai or sometimes it's called Ba Vinai. Vinay, the word Vinay literally translates to um, uh, virtue. And so Ba means town, you know, so town of virtue, that's the uh, name the refugee camp. Uh, Vinai from 75 to 92 was the, was the largest refugee camp in Thailand for all the people, um, all the refugees after uh, um, the Vietnam War. As about 60 to 65,000 people came through that refugee camp out of those 60, 65,000 people, 90% of them are Hmong. And out of those 90% of Hmong people that were in there, majority of them ended up here in the Midwest, especially in 75 was the first wave of uh, Hmong refugees that um, uh, landed here in um, the Twin Cities. And so uh, I was born in 84 and then we left in 88. Uh, and then we landed in St. Paul, and so we were here for about a year, and then ended up making our way out out east to um, to Pennsylvania. So for my from um, first grade to seventh grade, I grew up in uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. My friends and neighbors were Mennonites, Amish, and Pennsylvania Dutch. Uh, and here we are, the monk. Hm- <laughs> we are like the only monk hm family that lived in by this farm. This dairy farm, Uh, and so I just thought that was normal. That's why I I thought everyone looked like that, and then I found out when we moved back to the Midwest, I'm like, oh, we were in a special area uh, in uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Um, So, yeah, and so we ended uh, ended up back here, and then I did my undergrad at uh, UW-La Crosse. I originally grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, My mom's side of the family is from the Twin Cities about nine years ago. 10, almost 10 years ago, uh, I moved up here um, after college. Uh, I never wanted to uh, cook. That was never the idea. Uh, I always tell people that uh, the restaurant world uh, the you know the cooking world and me or it's kind of like uh it's like that girlfriend you keep breaking up with where you keep ending <laughs> up back with her
1: yeah. and you know that and you know like you guys know
3: what I'm talking about when you're like oh yeah. I'm so done with you yeah I'm
1: like, I can't like, quit you
3: yeah yeah it's like one of those like I can't quit you but then like on those lonely nights after a couple of glasses of wine your Facebook poker and you know and you're like hey what are you doing tonight you know and then And then like three months into the relationship, you're like, oh, I know why I left. I know why this doesn't (laughs) work. So I did that for about 15 years with cooking. (laughs) And after 15 years, uh, I was like, I might as well put a ring on it. You know, like we know each other so well. Like what are we doing? Who are we kidding? You know, I kept saying that. Who are we kidding? I we're in love, you know? Um, uh, and then I, that's when I really uh, accepted, like, this is something that I I love, you know? This isn't just a summer fling that we've yeah. I've been doing, so. I
2: love that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, so. And, you,
2: and so you clearly, you've been around so many cultures, just your background, in, you know, being in the Twin Cities, and then being, you're just describing your experience in Pennsylvania, and mm-hmm. so culture, though, seems really to be infused in your work um can you talk about how important is culture to you and then to your to your food and, and all the experiences yeah. that you've had over your lifetime
3: mm-hmm. so we we always get asked um what is mung food you know and and i always tell people that when 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 i was first asked what is mung food it it felt like a weird eighth grade dance you know where it's like for the boys you don't know where to put your hand and you're kind of like eh, it's kind of like that. you're like eh, you know and and so when when it comes up what is Hmong food a lot of times you always say oh Hmong food is kind of like thai food it's kind of like lao food it's kind of like vietnamese food it's kind of like chinese food but it's not thai food it's not lao food you know like you kind of go back down you're like well but it's not that but it's kind of like that and um a, a friend of mine really helped me just kind of sussed it out, like, what is Hmong food? And then and we really came to this conclusion that Hmong food isn't a type of food, it's actually a philosophy about food, you know? It, um, that it, it is, it's, it's, it's um, the way you think about food. And so Hmong food, a lot of times, um, it's, I, the best way I tell people is, if you want to know our people, if you want to know our culture, get to know our food, because our culture is intricately is intricately woven into um the, the the dna of the the way that we eat you know and so where are like the mong people they're an indigenous group of people in southeast asia we've and we've always had to travel and move around and the reason why our people have done that for hundreds and hundreds of years is uh because of war and also because we're agricultural people so my mom would always say that you know you would we would only get two seasons on a on a a good piece of land and then you would have to move and you would constantly move where the land is the best Mm -hmm. and by doing that we rub shoulders with a lot of different cultures and when when you do that you, you glean from that culture and then you forge that into your own culture and so Being able to, like, we, you know, again, lived out on the East Coast for a little bit, uh, you know, lived in Pennsylvania and Dutch country. I learned a lot about, like, what it means, the the word craftsman. What what does it mean? When something's made with your hands, you know, and the beauty behind that. And then, you know, coming back here in the Midwest, a lot of the produce and product we use here is Midwestern, you know, like, you know, we use rutabagas, we use turnips, we use... um, Uh, you know, carrots and, you know, sweet potatoes. And we use all these things that are very familiar with the people here, but we look at it through the lens of Hmong technique and Hmong flavors.
0: so how does that philosophy transcend itself into your food? Like what are some Mm -hmm. of the specific, you talk about some ingredients, but are are Mm -hmm. there spices? Is there a style Mm -hmm. of preparing? You know, what can people know? How can they do it at home?
3: Yeah. So Hmong food, It is that you you can do it like uh like I always say that if you want if you want a flavor profile, it's like this. You know, you have Laotian food, which Laotian food is, you know, let's think about Laotian food on this side. Laotian food is like it's got the funk, you know, you got the fermented crab, fermented fish, like you want the funk, it's Laotian food. (laughs) You got you got kind of that sweet and little like spicy, that's Thai food. That's the other spectrum. Hmong food falls right in the middle. Like we we got a little bit of funk. But we also got that sweet and spicy. I'm not sure if I'm talking about food anymore or people. It um, so could be the honeymoon. <laughs> you end up kind of right in the middle. You know, like if you go to the Hmong market and you get a papaya salad and you ask, they ask you, do you want it Lao style, Thai style, or Hmong style? And that's kind of what they're kind of describing. So that's the best way of explaining. If you're talking about flavor profile. Now w- with Hmong people, we, um, we, one of the things we had to learn how to do is be resourceful. And, and learning how to use different ingredients from wherever we, we travel to. Mm-hmm. So the Hmong people here in the Midwest, let's just say here in the Twin Cities, we eat a little different than the Hmong people in Fresno, California. We you know, the Hmong people in Fresno, California, eat a little different than the Hmong people that live in uh, Arkansas, uh, you know? Uh, and, and those people in Arkansas, the Hmong people in Arkansas, eat a little different than the, the, the small Hmong people group that's in Orlando so it's it's wherever we are you use the land and that whatever the land provides uh we we use that to to, to uh to feed each other and, and to um and because food is so important into our story of community family and home
1: well your story has been attracting a lot of attention and i, I do want to get into you know, bon appetit and other publications um and you have worked with some of amazing chefs here I have been thinking of the restaurateurs and the staff nonstop since this COVID thing happened, and you're a part of that world. So right now, you, have, um, you are in residency at Sociable Cider Works. You have takeout food available. My husband and I have been enjoying takeout as a way to support not only our sanity and having some good food, um, but to support the restaurant businesses mm-hmm. here. And I I guess I have two questions. Does that help? Um, And as we look down the line to reopening and try to imagine what that's like, when I know the margins are so slim, you know, and and in some states you're being told, you know, you can have 50% capacity or 25% Mm -hmm. capacity. And I'm wondering, is that equation even going to work for you?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the great things that um, in the last, uh, I would say, almost month, I've been invited to be on this uh, leadership board for, um, it's called the Twin Cities Restaurant Coalition. So um, some, some of the guys behind this is uh, Gavin Case and uh, a former chef I used to work for. Uh, Andrew Zimmer is in it. Um, we have uh, like Ann Kim, Alex Roberts, you know, so it's all, it's all these restaurant uh, tours around here that, that we're very familiar with. Um, and, and that's the conversation we're having right now. So we have about, I think, like two Zoom meetings a week uh, about it. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're coming together. We're, 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 uh, so it's, uh, you know, TCRC, Twin Cities Restaurant Coalition. Um, people can check it out. They can read our admission statement, what we're about. And we're trying to figure all that out right now. Um, and, and I love it because I don't feel alone anymore. Like, I don't feel like I'm out here, you know, in a desert island going, man, how am I going to figure this out? Cause there's, you know, cause there's like 30 of us that are sitting here and saying, Hey, like, this is what I'm learning. This is what I know, you know? And so it's really cool to be a part of that. And so that's a great resource that, uh, that we have. Um, I think the other thing is, I think that one of the things that COVID really showed the, 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 the world slash maybe even the restaurant world is that the current, the current model of how restaurants are being run doesn't work. Like if the wind blows wrong, like it all failed. It all falls. and 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 that's and that's me being honest. That, that's not me knocking on my world. it's it's just I'm being honest. And so right now we're we're having to do uh, different um we're we're having to think through like different um, mentalities, different ideas. You know, and, and if I hear the word pivot or fluid one more time, I'm going to lose it. Cuz fluid <laughs> is pivot that I feel like I'm a basketball coach, you yeah. know, like yelling at my team, you know, going like pivot,
1: pivot, pivot. Yeah. Um
3: and and one of the things that I really am thinking about uh, and, and as we think about with with my own team is the idea of takeout. Because when you think of the word takeout, you kind of it has this really negative connotation, right? because why do we do takeout? We do takeout because of convenience. Before COVID, takeout was all about convenience. I don't have 45 minutes to wait for this. I know, I, I I, you know, we don't have time to We gotta get the food together, we gotta go to our family, we gotta feed the kids, we gotta put them in bed. Takeout is out of convenience. And what we've really learned in the last two months um, is that takeout is actually a uh, family's way of saying, how do we take what you guys are doing and bring it to our table? If we can't go to the restaurant, how do we bring the restaurant in? You know, and we've had so many people respond to us and said, hey, like, you know, we, we had a gentleman who messaged us and said, hey, my two boys who are high school age boys, they just thought that this was better than Thanksgiving, you know, like coming over and then grabbing food. And they're like, hey, uh, you really made up, you know, this week was really hard for us. And but you really helped us, you know, come in here, getting this food. It really helped us through.
0: I was just wondering how you think that might frame moving into the future when when things do change and people can go back into
3: restaurants, I think that it's going to be a slow change. So I think that the 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 quote unquote takeout model will, will have to be there just to um, kind of give people options. I really think that it's options. You know, like when when the restaurants do open back again, you're keeping in with um, uh, with uh, you know, state uh state laws of how the dining room will look. You know, I think that people will have options. Do you want to do you know, take out or do you want to come and sit and eat? You know, um, I think the, uh, I think that there'll be a slow change of that. But I think that, I, I guess I'm, like, I'm waiting for that day again, that people can come and eat with us. You
1: know, I, you know I'm going to add something here too, because in a couple of cases for us, being able to do takeout has meant that we've been able to get into the restaurant that, you know, I'm not <laughs> a super planner, that we couldn't get into before. Yeah. So actually provided a nice option if you can't get that coveted reservation, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I hope it continues.
2: So do you think though, um, yeah, it, just kind of to elaborate a little bit on the long-term and I mean, it's kind of just the adaptability of it. And sort of when you think about what you're describing with the Hmong food, how you've adapted, you've pivoted a lot over <laughs> uh, You went there, you went there. I went there, there. <laughs> I'm gonna go there. But do, you, but do you think, though, that, um, you know, sort of in that same spirit that, that restaurants in general are going to adapt into a new way of doing things that will be ultimately beneficial over the long run? Like you just, you know, you described how, you know, the wind blows the wrong way mm-hmm. and restaurants fall apart. Do you, do you, do you, are you optimistic that this is going to strengthen the bones of, of the restaurants, you know, just the foundation in general and make every, you know, make restaurants stronger for the long term?
3: Yeah, um, my um, my father is uh, the thing he always like taught us growing up is that there's um, that you always have to work the problem no matter how hard it is you work the problem solve that and then you move on to the next problem you work the problem and I think that was from his days of uh, fighting in the war mm-hmm. and one of the things he said to us about when when you're in war and you know like. Bullets are flying over your head and you're hunkered down. If you stop moving forward, you lost. You always have to constantly move forward. That's how you, it's the advantage. It's, you got to gain ground that way. And, you know, as a kid, maybe like I was a kid and he wasn't supposed to tell me these, but like he would tell us these stories of them being like hunkered down, being fired upon, you know. And then him saying like, we had to advance forward. And I, I take that lesson with me into, you know, everything I do. And, I, and where it's like, there, you, there's no problem that's too hard that if you keep working it, you'll find a way. Uh, in college, one of my mentors said to me, reality is your friend, yeah. Reality is your friend. And you gotta, you gotta take reality, it's your friend. You can't be like, oh man, this sucks. Like everything's falling down, the world is crushing. That's your friend. So you take that situation and you say, okay, that's it. We know that here's the problem. How do we work the problem? And I think that that's, for us, that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to do, I, I am very optimistic about it, you know, because, because what do you do? Do you, do you just say, Oh man, this stinks. We all lost. Now we just go back home, you know, eat oatmeal, whatever. No knock on oatmeal. But, um, you know, like, <laughs> like, is that what we do? Or do we say, Hey, how do you work the problem? How do you keep moving forward? We, we acknowledge that there are, you know, people are dying, people are sick. Yes, I acknowledge that. I, I'm not one of those deniers of that. You know, I acknowledge that uh, friends, families have been sick. I, I've seen that. A lot of it for me comes from the determination of my father. You know, he uh, literally about three weeks, two two to three weeks before uh, the, the shutdown for Corona, he had a stroke, you know, oh,
2: nice.
3: he was in the hospital for a week. And, you know, and then three years ago, he had a huge accident where he, you know, fractured his skull and he was in the ICU for two months. And 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 so here's this man who who fought a war, survived, then brought his family to this country, worked here for 35 years. And then these health issues started happening. And and today, like he's, he's doing well, he's you know moving forward. I've never heard my father give up on anything. I've never seen him give up on anything. And somewhere along the way that became contagious to me. And so that's my whole mentality. Like When I need strength, when I need to figure out like, how do we move this world? I look at my mom and dad. I see the things they've done. I know the truths of who they are. And I don't know, like I tell people like, whatever is good about me actually flows from them.
0: So yeah, it's time to shine the spotlight on you a little bit and talk about (laughs) just this emerging talent, this amazing talent here in the Twin Cities. And you are... You know, as we mentioned earlier, Bon Appetit has recently done a feature on you. You have a great partnership with Twin Cities Public Television. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most exciting things you think you're doing, and where do you want to go with this? Do you want to be like the next Andrew Zimmern, the next <laughs> international chef star?
3: Um, well, you know, if you ask my friends, they would love me to be the next, you know, whatever. Bobby Flay, Emeril, whoever, they would love that because uh, I think a lot of your, like, like you know, like for me, like a lot of my college friends are like, did you see this? Like, we read this about you. Are you going to be the next Bobby Flay? And I'm like, yes, that's, that was on my vision totally. board. No, um, <laughs> to You when you were drinking Milwaukee's <laughs> yeah.
0: best, you <in> <laughs>
3: know, eating frozen pizza in the dorm room. I'm like, the next Bobby right. play, that's what. <laughs> uh, no knock on Bobby, no knock on Bobby. Um, no, he, the, the, the only thing that's really important to me um, is uh, as as you go on in life, like I, I say, like growing up, there was a lot of these things where I'm like, hey, I'm passionate about this, I'm excited about this, I love doing this. Um, all of that stuff really stopped when, um, when I, I really got into cooking, you know, when I really felt, really fell in love with cooking. And then, like I said before, my, my dad had a really bad accident, uh, and and I went to visit him at the in the ER, and he was in the, oh no, he was in the ICU. He was in the ICU for like two months, and he had to you know go to rehab, learn how to walk, everything. And, and 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 I remember that first couple days when he was there, and I went and visited. It was in uh, Marshfield, Wisconsin, Marshfield Clinic, and I went and visited. It was like three hour drive. I went and visited him, and it was on a Saturday. There wasn't many people in there. The lights were off, so it was already like weird and gloomy already, and. And I watched my father, who's my hero, who's this war hero. He, for the first time, I saw him laying there, and he was vulnerable. He had all these tubes on him. He had things that wrapped up. He was kind of, you know, it was really rough. And I left driving back to the Twin Cities. It was a three-hour drive. I was driving back to the city. All I could think about is, if my dad passed away on that hospital bed, his legacy goes with him. What am I doing now, so that people are people know? who he is and as i as i started thinking about that i started thinking about my mom and my dad and and reevaluating their story and so my life is pretty simple now it's you know it's I, after clearing everything up life to me is telling their story i i it's not my story the, most of the food we do is from their table and i get to be i get to be the facilitator that's it, man. I just want to get out of the way. Like I love getting platforms. Like when we when we were with Bon Appetit, like uh, and and the um, the writer was interviewing me. I was like, man, I can't talk about any of this stuff. Like it's none none of it is really about me. It's actually about them, you know. I am. I feel like I'm just this lighthouse that's a beacon of, and, and that light, like, is them, you know. And I just get to shine it. And so that's all I really want to do. And if and, and again, like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a computer engineer. I'm not. I'm a cook. So everything all the food that I know how to do, I learned from them, you know, my, we we were growing up and and this is, I tell this to everybody. When we were growing up, my mom, my, my mom would always make sure that we had food on the table. No, 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 no matter how hard financially they were doing, they never wanted us kids to realize that we, we, you know, we weren't doing well. So they took all of that pain. They took all of that stress. They took all that hurt and protected us. And we were we were living in bliss. We're like, oh yeah, we're doing okay. Like we have food, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that I learned, and especially when I hear more and more about my mom and dad's story and what they've done for us, uh, I tell people when, when you realize that somebody gave up their life so that you can have life, it changes the way you talk to people, it changes the way you love people, it changes the way you interact with people. And for me, it changed the way I cook. And so, yeah, like, I don't want to be the next whatever. Like, I, I don't really care about that. I, all I really want to do is get their story across and want people to remember them, you know. I want people to know them. And that's, you know, and, and I think that that shows really well in the things that we do. And that's why I love talking about my mom and dad. Um, and I feel like, you know, when I was a kid, I was kind of a turd, uh, especially even, <laughs> high, you know, like high school and college, I was a turd. and And I think that for me, The rest of my life, I feel like it's a a redemption story for me. It's kind of saying, Hey, like, I'm sorry I was a turd, (laughs) you know? Uh, But I, I wanted people to know how great you guys are, that I was very blessed to have a mom and dad who gave up everything for us.
1: So, that's incredible.
0: Via, I think it's time to take a quick break. And when we come back, we do something called The Final Flight. So, get ready.
1: Oh, boy. Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look fantastic. Learn more at 515productions.com.
2: Our logo was created by Leah DeSaltz, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information
0: on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, Three Women and a Bottle of Wine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind the scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back, everybody, with our final flight. We have Yavang here. Yeah, here's our chance to ask you three quick fire questions. Awesome. Just too good. We want to get to know you a little bit better. My question for you is, what is your favorite ethnic food?
3: Uh Mexican tacos. <laughs> Super easy. Tacos, if you think about tacos, you're actually eating protein on an edible napkin. That's what you're doing.
1: <laughs> it is great, isn't it?
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Hands down.
1: Here's my question, but I'm going to preface it since uh, uh, we want to honor your parents. Can you please say their names for us and then um, let us know what your favorite childhood memory is?
3: Uh, my dad's name is Nia. My mom's name is Pang. Uh, favorite childhood memory? Uh, when we are, uh, when, you know, we gather the family, we'll, like, we'll butcher a whole pig or a whole cow or whatever. And then all the dudes are in the back. They have a big pit fire. They have a big grill. And then all the dudes are grilling in the back while the women are inside doing a lot of the side dishes. Favorite memory ever. Cause I was a kid that I could stand by. And then when all the dads and uncles, they pull out the meat and they cut little pieces to taste. Like if you were the cool kid, you get to sit beside them and they give you a little piece.
2: Okay, last question. If you could open a restaurant anywhere in the world, I just love this question. Where would it be and why?
3: Well, we are working on our brick and mortar that uh, it got paused for COVID, but it would be here in uh, the Twin Cities. Honestly, honestly. And I'm not trying to fluff it, but definitely be here in the Twin Cities. I think the Twin City has a huge array of different cultures and different ethnicity. I'm sick and tired of people talking about how great LA is or how great Chicago is, or how great New York is, where the Twin Cities um, area feels like a quote unquote flyover state and we talk about it all the time. But there's a huge plethora, a group of uh, other ethnic um, um, uh, cooks and uh, just different cultures here that like people need to know about. Um, and there's a reason why all these different cultures have merged here in the twin cities I love the twin cities I love Minnesota and the twin cities and midwest whatever you want to call it for this reason we get all four seasons here like and that's so beautiful like they're not equally parsed out if you know what I mean but mm, yeah
2: winter <clears throat> is a little bit longer than all of them <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yeah.
3: winter is like you know 80 percent of it but whatever right <laughs> we get all four seasons here and on top of having all four seasons here i i think that during the harsh season it really builds this like blue collar mentality in all of us where it's like yeah it's hard we got to hunker down we'll work through it and uh so that's why i love being in the midwest that's why i love being in the twin cities and i and that's why we plan on opening our brick and mortar here in the twin cities so And
0: that is why the Twin Cities loves
3: you as well.
0: (laughs) Yuveng, we are out of time, unfortunately. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me,
0: guys.
1: It's great having you. And you're just another reminder of how important restaurants
2: and food (sighs) is to the culture of this community. So thank you. We can't wait to get to your new restaurant in person and toast in person.
0: Than a yeah, this mineral water stuff. It's time <laughs> to have a glass of wine with you next time, okay? <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Thanks a lot,
3: ladies.